0: I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word out, your Bible out, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 this morning, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's Bibles under the seats in front of you, and we would love for you to use one of those if you need to, and we'd love for you to take one of those as a gift from us if you do not have a Bible, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. July 15th, 1815. The defeated Emperor of France, Napoleon Bonaparte, boarded a British warship and was being sent to his final earthly destination. He was going to be exiled to a tiny volcanic island of. St. Helena, in the exact middle of the South Atlantic, over 700 miles nautically from any other piece of land. This man had thrown the world into turmoil for 20 plus years and had led armies of over 600,000 men, had won battles in Egypt and throughout Europe, and he at one point controlled most of continental Europe, the Napoleonic Wars resulted in the deaths of as many as 6 million people. And think about that, considering the percentage, the amount of people that were alive at that time was far less than now. His soldiers were fanatically loyal to him. We were willing to trudge through the, the snows of Russia in order to establish Napoleon's glory. And as Napoleon was talking with the captain of the ship that would carry him to exile, he was reflecting back over his really amazing military career and the immense sacrifices that his soldiers were willing to win for him In order to have his empire. And he uttered these famous words at that time to the captain of the ship A soldier will fight long and hard for a bit of colored ribbon. A soldier will fight long and hard for a bit of colored ribbon. Medals of honor, medals of valor, medals of glory, medals of achievement, medals of bravery, medals of service. You get the idea. And Napoleon said that these motivated men more than just about anything. And why? It's because inside of man is a yearning for glory and recognition, for honor and praise. And if a person is not a Christian, it essentially is idolatrous, because it's not connected in any way to faith in Christ. But what do we do with this fact? Every Christian yearns to hear one statement from Christ on Judgment Day. Well done, good and faithful servant. So I pose this question to you as we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Is it wrong to yearn for praise and honor from Christ our Master? And it's not only not wrong, it actually is sinful not to live and yearn for that. Did you know that? Romans 2 verses 7 and 8. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. See, Paul describes the life of those who go to heaven By persistence in doing good, they are seeking glory and honor and immortality. In our text this morning, we're going to walk with Paul through his internal motivation in serving Christ. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let a man consider us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against me, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to the light the things hidden in the darkness and make manifest the motive of our hearts, and then each one's praise will come from Him. Some key words I want you guys to listen for this morning. Other than the word tacos. I want you to listen for servant. I want you to listen for steward. I want you to listen for mysteries. I want you to listen for faithfulness. And I want you to listen for praise from God. We're going to explain All five of those in the context of what Paul is saying here. You see, in verse 1 alone, we see that Christ's servants are stewards of the mystery of God. Let a man consider us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. See, Paul's answering the leaders of the various factions of the church in Corinth that was messed up. When he called himself, Peter and Apollos, servants of Christ. The word there, translated servants, is a word picture word. It's literally the word under rowers. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? Roman ship. Who was underneath it, powering it? The under rowers, the Servants. It described the slaves who rode those huge Roman ships. And Paul's saying, We're we're not the captains of the ship, but only the galley slaves who are under rowers. And you've got to catch the understanding there that no one slave is greater than another down there. They're all serving. For the captain of the ship. So he first lays the ground. that we're, Hey, those of us who are, are teaching and sharing God's word, those of us in any leadership position, anything like that as Christians, we're servants first. And then he explains then the image of a steward. A steward is a servant who manages everything for the master but he himself owns how much? Zip. Joseph was chief steward in Potiphar's household in Genesis 39. The church is the household of faith in Galatians 6.10. Ministers, pastors, or stewards who share God's wealth with the family in Matthew 13.52. Paul calls the spiritual wealth the mysteries, then, of God. They're supposed to be sharing the mysteries of God. Well, what, then, is the mysteries of God? This is clearly the ministry of God's Word, but especially as the full plans of God are being unfolded before our very eyes. It's a military term. Secret mission, mystery type of word and he uses it many times in his epistles a mystery once again is in this context is something hidden that was in the mind of God but part of his eternal plan for the salvation of his people that was not shared yet but was now being shared these mysteries are now being revealed in the final days the days since the incarnation of Christ Christ himself first of all is called the mystery of God In 1 Timothy 3.16, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The mystery of godliness. In other words, there are aspects of the Christ's mission, which were hidden in God for ages past and are now being revealed through the preaching of God's word. The salvation of Gentiles as full members of the people of God is called a mystery. Did you know that? Ephesians 3:16 Paul says this This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ Another mystery shared Paul also calls the indwelling of Christ in us by the Holy Spirit a mystery Colossians 1 to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Finally, for our examples of the mysteries of, of God coming out to be known in Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 also shares that. We'll be sharing that a little bit later as we walk through this book together, this letter together. First Corinthians fifteen, fifty one, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. So everyone, wake up, here we go. But we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed wonderful mysteries. And Paul, the servant Paul, is a steward of these mysteries. First revealed to him and the other apostles so that they could be preached among the churches and become part of our theology, part of our understanding of the purposes of God for us in this world. So it's an interesting thing to be a servant and a steward of sharing God's Word. I don't know how many of you know this, but October is traditionally now in kind of the United States church world, a pastor appreciation month. Why do you laugh? But but see, here's the, here's the uniqueness of this, okay? What Paul is doing is saying, yes, you're supposed to appreciate the messenger because he's sharing with you the mysteries of God through God's word. And what he's saying about himself and those who serve as ministers and pastors, yes, people first need to regard us as servants. Not servants to themselves but servants to who? Christ. But also stewards of God's mysteries. These are weighty offices. Yes, it's worth, worthy of respect. Paul saying, don't think too highly of me. I am a servant, but also the reason you need to not think too highly is you need to be focusing on God and on Christ, but don't think too lowly of me as a steward because what am I stewarding? The wonderful mysteries of God. I am unveiling to you the fullness of God's wise plan for the ages and without that unveiling, you are going to be messed up in your understanding of God's word. That's all in verse 1. And he's saying, here's here's the thing that wraps this all together, starting in verse 2. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found what? Faithful. That is what Christ wants from his servants, from his stewards, faithfulness. If you are your steward, if if you are into investing and you have a large portfolio of investments, you generally have a person that you have managing that portfolio. Now, that person in the finance world will generally get about 1% a year, for managing your portfolio. And if any of you want to go look it up, look it up. It's about 1%. And they manage that for you. They are stewards of that portfolio. And you want that steward to be faithful, right? You want them to be faithful. Christ is stewarding in us as His messengers the most ultimate thing on the planet. His message. The eternal plan of God. And Christ alone knows how best to position His servants for maximum effectiveness. He calls a person. He equips that person for the mission. Providentially orchestrates the circumstances of the work. The one thing he requires? Faithfulness. Literally, this is what the Lord seeks, demands from his servants and stewards. Faithfulness to himself. really just means obedience. When you think about it, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And it's a special kind of obedience, obedience to a specific work over a long period of time and obedience despite the obstacles. Faithfulness means loyalty and, and trustworthiness. Given a task by God, guess what you do? You do it. You see it through. It also means in the context of warfare that the soldier remains loyal to the flag, his country, his orders, his commanding officer, despite any temptations towards treachery, temptations like being a coward when under fire or allurements by the enemy to become a turncoat to betray the country. Christ wants all His servants to be faithful to Him and Him alone, loyal to His kingdom, courageous in the battle, unable to be tempted to become a traitor. Now, Paul met this criteria in amazing ways. Despite incalculable costs, he was faithful He was faithful to the heavenly vision of Christ, calling him into his service. At at his trial in front of King Agrippa, Paul described his calling by Christ on the road of Damascus and, and how the Lord had given him commission to preach the gospel boldly. In Acts 26, verse 19, you see him say these words, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. So the question before all of us as Christians today is have we been faithful? The Lord has called every single one of us into service, right? Are we serving Him or our own appetites? The Lord has called us to witness to our generation, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our unsaved family, to our unsaved friends, have we been faithful? The Lord has entrusted with us many blessings as stewards money, time, strength, spiritual gifts, opportunities. Amen? Have we been faithful? Paul's clarity on this issue frees him up entirely then from human evaluation. And that's where this clips into verse 3. He's like, I've been faithful to God and God alone. I've been faithful to the mission. I have been a faithful servant. I have been a faithful steward. But to me, in verse 3, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Literally, what Paul is saying there is, for me, this is very little of importance. Paul, we know from scriptures, speaking from experience, he had been arraigned before more human courts and tribunals than any figure in church history. More than Donald Trump. Courts everywhere. And he's like, that's not, not important to me because I was doing the work of the Lord. People can arraign you for anything. And Paul's saying, but I'm going to tell you right now when I stand before God, I'm not going to be found guilty. Paul was hauled up in front of authorities to give defense for himself, his life, his doctrine, over and over again. Paul's total focus on Christ's pleasure freed him up from the concern of human opinions. And that included the church at Corinth themselves. He was very aware that they were judging him harshly, they were slandering him, they were just smushing him. And Paul said for himself, it really didn't matter what they thought at all. When you know what you're doing, what you're doing is right. When you know that what you're doing is right in God's eyes, you don't worry about human opinion. You keep doing it. They can throw me in jail. This week, just I believe last night, if not the night before, our governor, no, actually he didn't do this. This was the attorney general in the state of California filed charges against two Pregnancy clinics in the state of California. The same uh, type of clinic that we support here uh, with open arms. You know what they got thrown in court for? Providing medicine that reverses abortions. You catch that? They... Got thrown into court for saving babies. And the rationale is that it's not proven, although there's tons of proof that it works. I guarantee you, they're still going to provide that medicine. Who cares? what the court says when you know you're doing God's word. Amen? See, that's where the rubber hits the road. Paul's total focus on Christ freed him up from human opinion. Human opinion will mean literally nothing on judgment day. Because as it says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul actually includes himself in this evaluation process. His own evaluation of his life, his deeds, his motives, his achievements, means literally nothing if they're different than Christ's. You see, there's a boatload of people that go to churches too that say, hey, I go to church And so thus, I must be okay, even though everything else I do doesn't match up with God's Word. Well, guess what? Your opinion also means nothing. When you understand that Christ is judge... We all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and Christ's judgment will be perfect and final. At that time, will it matter at all what you or anyone else thought about your life? Paul says there, my conscience is clear, but it doesn't make me innocent in verse 4. It's the Lord who judges me. Now, in some sense, that in verse 4, we do see that he did evaluate, my conscience is clear, and during his trial before Felix in Acts 24, he says, I believe that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. If you violate your under- the, the, the understanding of God's word, your conscience as a Christian, you have it's not your understanding. It is the understanding, the Word of God. You, well, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be involved in sin. And therefore, it's a worthy goal to never do anything that causes you to have that guilt that is letting you know that you're doing something that is different than God's Word. But this is a key verse to say that a clear conscience actually is not enough. Christ will not be asking us, how do I feel about this topic? He just judges. Bottom line, human judgment is nothing compared to the evaluation of the king. And this then has an incredible power because this is what it really comes down to. It is incredibly powerful to not fear man. People are so afraid Afraid of what people will think of them. I'm going to a Dodgers game. I better not wear a Giants hat. I mean, even silly stuff like that. Okay, I get it in that case. You may be killed, but that's a different topic. (laughs) But here's the real deal, right? So people are so afraid of what people will think of them, they won't share the gospel. They won't help the person in need that needs to hear the gospel or stand up for an unpopular belief. And Paul's mindset freed him up from that human evaluation, his enemies' his friends, the the Corinthian church there, total strangers, even his own conscience, all that will matter is whether Jesus found you faithful to do what he called you to do. For I am conscious, verse 4, of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and make manifest the motive of hearts. And then each one's praise will come to him from God. Now, people use this verse in connection with another verse or two, that are ripped out of context to say, see, don't judge me. But actually, it's essential that Paul be proven as a faithful teacher of the Word of God, isn't it? Matter of fact, in Matthew 7, one of the places where people will say, Jesus said, don't don't judge, lest you be judged. If you go further into Matthew 7, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So that means we have to do what? We have to judge in that context. We have to evaluate acts seventeen, eleven. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So, don't fall into the trap of, oh, see, the Bible says don't judge. Otherwise, if if we fall into that trap... How do we protect the church? How do we protect the mission? How do we protect our families? Because what does Satan do? He attacks by perverting God's Word and making it seem like truth. We need to evaluate. We need to make sure But the true overall evaluation of all the servants of Christ does wait until Judgment Day. That day alone will reveal what is really there and what has really been done. And Paul does tell the, the Corinthians, wait till the Lord comes, the second coming of Christ. That's, that, that's the day Paul wrote about in the last chapter, chapter when our, our labors will be tested with fire to see if they are gold, silver, uh, costly stones, or wood, straw, hay. Specifically, the Lord alone can read the human heart we are called to have discernment as well. So it's the same sort of balance that we see. Paul even starts in verse 1 where he says, I'm a servant, but I'm a steward. You got you to hold that in balance. But the beauty of all of this, everyone, is Christ alone judges. Revelation 2.23 says, I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Psalm 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. The point here is that all human ministries cannot be completely evaluated now, and on Judgment Day, their value will be exposed. But what is this all about as we wrap this up in the last few words here? Verse 5, and then each one's praise will come to him from God. This is the substance of all of the rewards we will get on judgment day. That God expresses his pleasure to us personally for our faithful service to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This is key. Christ will let you share the joy He had in your prayer life, in the money that was given to the ministry to, to spread the gospel for faithfully teaching uh, the te- teaching ministry that you have into your children or around you. Um, the list goes on and on. Your master will be pleased. He will allow you to enter into the joy He has for you. That joy will be expressed to you for all eternity. So it's not just a one and done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come hang out. No, Christ gives eternal and heavenly honors to faithful servants. And this, as Scripture says, can be stored up in large amounts. Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So some very easy applications in all of this. First of all, for the person that is not a Christian yet, come to Christ. He is the master. He is the one that you will find fulfillment in serving. Everything else that you're going to try is going to fall short. He alone guides the ship that gets us home. Come to Christ. Accept Him as Lord of your life. Believe in His work. Believe in the fact that He came and lived a sinless life. Took our sins upon Himself and died on the cross taking those sins and risen again conquering sin and death so that we can be free and live for him come to christ and for those of us who are christians live as the servant you were called to be Live as a servant of Christ and also live as the steward of God's word that you have been called to be. You need to then seek faithfulness concerning his calling on your life. Seek faithfulness to him. You need to free yourself from concern about human opinions. Christ alone is judge. Live by His Word, in His Word alone. And that also means your opinion doesn't count either. Only His Word and His truth. And then focus entirely, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but it's not. Focus entirely on Judgment Day. when Christ will reward you with praises from God. What a blessing and a joy that will be. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord. I